Welcome to Inside Stories. I'm Jen. And I'm Tequila. Just in case you need a refresher here on Inside Stories, we go inside one of the amazing stories that are told here live in Madison. We have the um, writer, reader here with us as we're listening, and then we ask them questions and go inside the story. Exactly. We're trying to explore Madison one story at a time. Awesome. I love it. And so this week we have Susanna Alvarez with us, uh, a story she told at the Moth the Moth Grand Slam, actually, in 2019. Oh, yeah. So welcome, Susanna. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Great. It's a story that I know I love. So what we're going to do is we're just going to listen to it together, and then we'll talk to you about it. Okay. Very good. So in March of 2010, my cousin Cecil came over to our house to visit, and while he was talking to my dad, his phone rang. And he started getting louder and louder. He was trying to refute what they were telling him on the phone. And it was that uh, my Uncle Mario, my favorite uncle, had been intercepted when he was driving towards his farm, and he had been kidnapped. And he had fought being taken and had a heart attack and died. And so they threw his body on the side of the road in a dumpster. And my father, who was with me, he got up, and him and Cecil, they got up and ran out the door because uh, my uh, Uncle Mario was married to his sister, to my father's sister, and they lived just a block away. And I went screaming to my room, and when I got to my room, I fell down on the floor, and I had an out-of-body experience. I could see myself crying in desperation and screaming, but I was unable to act. Um, we were living in Venezuela under the Hugo Chavez narco dictatorial regime. And I was the owner of a big ass colonial house I could not sell. And I had a husband who couldn't speak English. I had reluctant teenagers who didn't want to talk about anything that had to do with them leaving their friends. And I had an 81 year old widowed father with many and varied ailments a goat farm that he couldn't sell in order so we could leave uh, Venezuela with some sort of a financial cushion. And I was stuck in the middle of this mess not knowing um, what to do. Two weeks after my uncle's murder, my father, me and my son Luis, who was five at the time, we came to Wisconsin for a couple of weeks uh, to visit. And once we got here, we decided that we were not going back. It was now or never. Um, my, my daughters would finish the school year in Venezuela and follow me, and my husband could do the same if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> my sister took us into her home, and my brother gave us his car and took me out shopping for a suit so I could go out on job interviews and land the job. And in June of 2010, I got my first job. It paid by the hour. And then a month later, I got a, a second job. And I was working really hard in order to make ends meet. We moved into a little duplex. It was uh, my four kids. My husband wasn't there yet, and my dad. My dad took nine different medicines and insulin for uh, diabetes. And I would wake up in the middle of the night uh, horrified because I knew that the stash of medicine that I had brought with me was beginning to run out, and I didn't know what to do. And my father must have known this too. We never talked about it. But every once in a while, he would tell me 
that the kids were okay, and that's what, what, what mattered was that, and that it was okay. He would say, yo estoy cansado de vivir de todas maneras. It meant, I'm tired of living anyway, and I'm okay. And then one night, my sister called me and said, there's a free clinic in town. So I hid in the, in the bathroom. I didn't want my dad to hear this, and there I dismissed her. I said, he's not a U.S. citizen, one. Number two, he doesn't have insurance. And number three, he takes nine medicines and insulin. We don't need a free clinic. We need tons of money in order to buy insurance and medicine. And then I started crying. That night, I couldn't sleep. I figured, oh, my, what if, what if they know something that we don't know? But what if they tell me I have to take him to a, a hospital immediately? Or they denounce me for being negligent? What if it's not a free clinic and then they charge me and denounce me for being negligent? But I didn't have a plan B. So I came home early the next day from work and said, Papa, put your shoes on. We're going to the free clinic. And he said, where are we going? To the free clinic. We're going to go ask for information. The free clinic. Is it free? I said, well, I don't know, but we'll see. So we got to the free clinic, and it was about 6 o'clock when the, finally the doctor saw us. And I went in with this folder full of information, and I started telling our story fast. I said, my uncle was taken and kidnapped, and they can take my dad too, and we're in danger. We can't go back. So we just need some guidance. And they talked to us for a long time. And then they told us to please wait, uh, wait. After they talked to us and they took some blood and they, we, we looked at the paperwork. They said, can you go wait in the, in the waiting area? We're going to figure some things out. And I said, oh, my God, they're going to figure some things out. Uh, I'm going to be denounced. This is a mess. And then an hour later, they came back and they said, we got all nine medicines for free. And we're going to give you some insulin. And here's this machine for your blood. And... I just looked at the doctor and I said, is he going to be okay? I said, yeah, he's going to be okay. We're going to take care of him. I said, oh, my God, thank you. And then he patted me on the shoulder and I said, you're welcome. I said, well, you know, my brother says you can never take more than you give. Is there anything I can do? I said, yeah, we need interpreters all the time. I said, I can do that. So we got in the car. It was almost 10, and when we were driving, Tears started coming down my face. I started whimpering. And I didn't want to worry my dad, so I looked at him by the side of my eye. And he was rubbing his chin, which is something he did when he was thinking. And as a tear started coming down his face, he said, The free clinic. I'll be a son of a bitch. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I was, um, I, I remembered when you told the story, I loved it and like oh hopefully we can get her on the podcast and then um and then I knew what it was about I knew it was like this you know sort of you know hard story of, ha of having to leave your home and come here but I also remember loving the ending with your dad you know so I remembered the exact word of your dad and I didn't remember the rest so I, I enjoyed hearing it all again thank you it's uh it was a true story yeah those are hard too you can't make this up <laughs> yeah so the thing that I you know Listening to the second time, I was sort of struck with. I think in the in the beginning, you said you know you said it was like it was now or never, right? And you, yes. and you weren't going back. And I'm just imagining like how hard it was to come to that decision, right? Because you only have your five year old with you. 
you don't have the rest of your family. Right. And uh, it, it had been a couple of years that I was trying to figure out how it was that I could get out. Now, mm. because my mother was uh, born here. My mother was from Wisconsin. Okay. And so, my that's dad, why, so that's why your brother and sister are here. Right. Okay. And, and my dad from Venezuela, and they met here in the university and got married. My brother and my sister were born here, but they never saw themselves living here. Right. So that's why mm-hmm. my father never became a U.S. citizen. His life and her life was down there. She died in Venezuela in 2007. So when Chavez came into power, Hugo Chavez, that was at the beginning of 2000, and then you could see things started to get uh, difficult. And I would write in the newspaper. I had um, a column, a weekly column, uh, opinion. I would just write about how I saw life, but I started mentioning the government. And that was not a good idea because... uh, it was a small town, and I was beginning to uh, be known also. And my family owned farms, and so everybody that had anything was considered an enemy and an imperialist. And we needed uh, the revolution, and mm-hmm. it was just uh, the good against the bad, and I was the bad. My family was the bad. So trying to get out of there with a husband that didn't know anything else but... Uh, where he was born and and that little town where he was born and my kids who love their family their family and their friends uh, and me with stuck with that huge house and a five-year-old and a widowed dad it was hard so when that happened that's when my father realized we don't wait to we were trying to sell the goat farm and the house but then we just couldn't wait anymore right Mm mm-hmm and so, how long were you here? Oh no! So your daughters just finished up the school year, and then they and then they joined you. Right. I brought the five-year-old, and I knew, like two years before that this was happening, my son needed a couple of surgeries before, and I was getting that done with what I had with me because I I didn't know that I had certain rights here. I didn't know that I could have food stamps, for example, or insurance uh, given to me by the state because I am a U.S. citizen, and so are my children. So even though they were born in Venezuela, because my mother was from here and I lived here for over 10 years, I was able to give them the citizenship. But out of ignorance, I was trying to get everything done and the fear of what am I going to do if somebody gets sick? Uh, right. How can I do this? So that's that was stopping me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of um, hearing you worried about, like, you know, what it is you can't do and how are you going to do it and not really, you know, thinking about other options. Like, you know, the free clinic, is it really free? What are they really up to? You know, like that kind of fear, I I can hear that it kind of held you back and um, stressed you out a lot. No, definitely. Down there, nothing is for free. So this is a a new concept because even though I lived here, I went to Cherokee Middle School and West High School and graduated from the University of Wisconsin. I had been gone for about 20 years and learned my brain was rewired to thinking, uh, let's do a, um, uh, a deal where I win, but you lose. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this win-win or volunteer work. So all of this was new to me. I had to relearn it once I got here. Right. Yeah. Um, I have, I just have a couple questions, just sort of a little bit about like kind of like story construction, you know, because I really, I just, 
I really enjoyed the story and I think it worked really well. And one of the things that I, you know, I noticed listening to the second time is um, you kind of repeated a few times nine different medicines and insulin. Yes. And and you had it sort of as a refrain. I feel like every time you said it, it just sort of like accentuated it so much. And so had, did you did you purposely sort of make sure you repeated that same phrase several times? Yes. And, and I worked with uh, uh, an expert from the moth. Oh right, because it was a grand slam. Right, right, right. Yes, and he was wonderful. He was uh, very good. I had a different ending. Oh, well, you, oh, your ending was then amazing. Then the ending yeah. that that we came up with, and uh, the medicine was it, it's expensive right. medicine, and, and in Venezuela you can't even find it anymore. So I was going drugstore to drugstore trying to get as much as I could bring with me. But once that ran out, what am I going to do with somebody that is not a a U.S. citizen, right. because right. They, even we asked for him, the three children did, in order to get him his papers. But that wasn't going to be fast enough. And right. In the meantime, I was working 50, 60 hours a week, right. earning $9 an hour. It was, I, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So those nine medicines were very important. If we, had, we were, didn't have one of them, he could die. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. You yeah. definitely got that urgency across. Like we talk about raising stakes in stories. Like you definitely raise a stake talking about, you know, the kids there and your father and the medications and you work in the two jobs. So um, I like that part of the construction, too, because I was right with you. Another thing, and I remember being in the audience thinking this because you were the only woman up there. So you already had most of us like, yeah, yeah, girl. (laughs) And then you were like, well, my husband can come if he wants to. I was like, that was perfect. (laughs) So that timing was on point. Well, Yes, and uh, he is here, but he's in Texas, uh, where he's happy. Okay. And uh, and that's okay. That's good. I, I figure I gave him something also. I gave him uh, the, his uh, residency. I gave him uh, citizenship. Um, four beautiful kids that are bilingual. I gave him a second language. Right. It didn't work out because we're very different. We believe in different things, but I really, really like Wisconsin, and it's where I grew up, and it's where I feel at home. And he couldn't take the cold, and he no. just thought that it was... We Once we got came here, it was... Uh, um, different because of the different priorities my right. kids are very important to me mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. and are your kids all in wisconsin my kids are well carol is an accountant in sheboygan okay working mm-hmm. for kohler and eliana is getting a master's degree in germany and rebecca is uh, studying bilingual education at whitewater and i have a son at west high school oh, cool. that's great. who's special ed Okay. And that's another one of the reasons why I needed to get out of Venezuela immediately. Okay. Mm. Uh, one thing, you know, um, so I've heard you, you've told two other stories at the moth, and yes. those other two stories were very funny stories. You know, so you're clearly just like a very funny person. So telling this story, which is, you know, it's not a funny story, mm. um, but but you sort of, at the ending, you sort of brought in your humor a little bit. And so you had said that when you worked with the person for the Grand Slam story that, you initially had a different ending? I did. So what, it, what was that ending initially? The ending was uh, that I was going to let the, the audience know that I'm a teacher. And uh, every morning we pledge allegiance to the flag. And I don't see them getting up because it's a voluntary thing. So that I explained that because this bunch of volunteers took care of my dad in a free clinic, I pledge allegiance to the flag. So I get up and I thank 
the United States of America for taking care of my dad when I couldn't. Right. So that was the ending. Right. But um, we decided that it was a little too dense. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. needed a, so, well, let me think about it. Yeah. And, and then I thought, do I want to say, do I want that ending? Do I want to end? And I, I'll just go with it because yeah. it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah, I like it. And it also sort of adds a little bit of sort of like, um, it gives a little sense of your dad's humanity, you know, and his personality. So, so I, I like that. Yeah, and if you see the other two stories, what the common factor is, my dad. He's in mm-hmm. all of them. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I remember in the first one, but I... But I, I didn't remember that. That arepa, he yeah. had to eat that arepa. Yeah, that was right the first Right before one. Yeah. a procedure. Yeah. And then the spider in this uh, Margarita Island in the car. And uh, we were taking that tour and uh, a spider came from the back and my Aunt Carol's blouse opened and my dad's trying to kill the spider. My grandmother got out of the car and we were in a safari in front of the lions. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> that's the story that, that's the story that got you That's the, the one that got me yeah. to oh, the slam. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I knew that was a good story. Right, and yeah. and then I was number eight. And so when they said, Susana Alvarez, I said, here we go. Let's yeah. uh, finish this. I yeah. was very excited. Yeah. You know sometimes about yeah, if it's a just story. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. One thing, a question we ask people, and um, it sort of fits in with what you just told us a little bit, I think, is um, how do you use storytelling in your daily life? And I know you're a teacher, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if that's something you incorporate into your teaching. I, I think that it started with my writing, because once I got to Venezuela, I graduated from UW-Madison in 1990, and then I was going to continue, but I didn't really want to. I wanted to go down to Venezuela because I came here when I was 13 and I felt like there was no closure to getting out of there. So I figured that was home and I needed to go down there. And then once I got there, I got married and then I was like, "Uh oh, (laughs) what did I do? Even though it it gave me all these wonderful things, I had my own school, my own English as a second language school, and I had my house and I, I was I started writing and writing was my way of uh, I don't know if it was uh, meditating or reflecting or trying to figure out in my subconscious what was happening to me. But the, this writing was stories and uh, I loved it. I still love to write. I don't have the time right. to write the way I used to, but that's how it started. And then as a teacher, I use all the life that I've lived, I'm, I'm going to be 53 next week, to try to come across with the lessons. So I think I have practiced it, but it's something that's in me. Right. And uh, it, my father used to tell stories, and my mother used to tell mm. stories, and my grandmother, and my brother is very good at telling right. stories. So. You're good at telling stories, too. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Other question we ask folks is, a favorite thing to do here in Madison? Uh, Madison is a a very nice place to live. I'm so happy to be here. I like to go to the Union. I like to go to the Memorial Union. I like to sit uh, on the terrace and look at the lake and feed the, look at the animals and have a beer and, and uh, be there with my family. I love the farmer's market, the one in the square and the one by Hilldale. I like to go to the university bookstore downtown mm-hmm. and libraries. I go to all the libraries. And, and the free clinic that I'm talking about wasn't here. I, didn't, I applied in Madison as a teacher first, but mm-hmm. I got a job was with Land's End in Dodgeville. 
So okay. that's where that free clinic was. And the first thing I did once I got there was go to the library and mm-hmm. get a library card. So Madison has great libraries. It does. We do. We yeah. actually are really lucky with yeah. that. I'm excited that the, the Penny branch There's is a brand opening. New one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's opening this week, I think. Yeah. Because I interpret for um, Reach. Okay. And uh, and they're doing the, they're going to do the some of the sessions for uh, education in uh, the new library. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for let it, letting us play your story so other people can hear. I mean, that's the thing about if you tell a story of the moth or listen to your mother, like only the people in the room get to hear it. So I'm glad we're going to give this a, a little bit of a larger larger audience. Okay. No, that's fun. Whenever... And sharing the background of it, too, was super interesting. So now I'm going to look up some more stuff and figure out what was going on at that time frame. Because, yeah, that's the best part of our story is you get the, the why behind it and really dive in. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, whenever you need me, call me. Okay. I'll come running. <laughs> right. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. All Thanks. Right. All right, and now for a new treat for Season 3, we're going to introduce our activist origin stories. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to have people from the community come in um, and sort of just tell us, you know, kind of why they started on the road they started on in terms of their activism. So for our very first one, we have Jenny Pressman, which I'm very excited about. Yes. I've had a chance to do some work with Jenny, and I'd love to hear more about kind of what got you started. Super. Hi, friends. Hi. Hi. Um, I think that my activist origins can be summed up probably in four or five words, uh, part of my identity, and that is I am the Jewish lesbian daughter of Holocaust survivors and grew up in New York City. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. yeah, that's, that's, that's more that's, than four or five words, but those key words, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Jew, lesbian, um, daughter, I think is part of it, Holocaust survivor family in New York City, all of them came together. I think, actually, New York City is just the incubator, um, a Petri dish. I guess we shouldn't be talking about that right yeah, now. Maybe not, yeah. <laughs> um, for activism, um, because of the way that communities w- live and work together, um, maybe not always all together, but there's something about um, New York City. I, used, yeah, I call the subway, for example, the great equalizer Absolutely. in New York City. Yep. Um, but I mean, it, it, it starts, I suppose, with my parents being Holocaust survivors from Poland. Um, and so from the time I can remember, that was a part of my identity and our conversation. My parents were involved in um, Holocaust remembrance activities and immigrant and refugee organizations, um, HIAS um, and, uh, and, and other organizations. And so... My sisters and I, from the time I can remember, we would be going to these meetings. We would be like sitting at or under the table or in a corner reading or drawing or just um, playing together and hearing about all of these rather... I mean, now I know how startling and weird it probably was to bring children to conversations <laughs> and talking about concentration camps and death and prejudice and um, genocide and all of that. But that's part of the roots. And then um, the first thing I was thinking about it when you asked me, the first thing that I can remember um, that was a moment of sort of crystallization in terms of activism was I was around seven or eight. eight yeah. 
eight, maybe eight, nine, when the New York City um, uh, teachers went out on strike. And that, that was for months. Um, and so we had to find different schooling arrangements. I actually went to Catholic school um, for a little while, but there was so much discussion about the strike um, and, and why teachers were going out on strike. I mean, I, it clearly impacted my day-to-day, but I wanted to know, like, why, what, what was going on. Um, and so I don't know if it was the nuns who explained to me, my parents, um, just from conversations, but I became interested in labor activism. That was really the first thing that I remember being a part of. In fact, I went on in college to study um, labor history. Um, and from there, it there it, it segued really quickly um, into the table grape boycott. Um, oh. The United Farm Workers... Uh, urged people to boycott. They call them table grapes. I don't know why. What's a table yeah, grape? Because what, 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 what's a grape that wouldn't go on a table? Yeah. Oh, wine, I guess. Oh, maybe oh, wine. Oh, that might oh, be it. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and certainly names like Cesar Chavez um, and Dolores Huerta, I, I, um, I convinced my parents. I said my parents, but obviously it was my mother. She was the one who did the shopping. Um reluctantly, I'm sure, um, not to buy grapes. Um, and then I started talking to other kids in school about them not buying grapes. I believe I even talked to the school about it. Um, I was so well known for being an activist. Actually, I was just remembering this in elementary school that my um, uh, fourth grade teacher find me um, like a penny every time I said that's not fair in class. Um, and then I think we applied the money at the end of the year to something positive that I, that, you know, some, some cause that I could uh, support. But it was, it was those two movements um, talking about I, I think that the dignity of people and people's working conditions and how important that was um, gelled together with my parents' experience um, that made me just think about something broader than myself um, and my place in it all. And, and the concept of justice came up, you know, so quickly for me. Um, so, yeah, that's not fair. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, that was just a, a, a root of it. Um, and then I started to become involved in political campaigns. Um, it's a funny thing. I was painfully shy as a child. Um, nobody believes that now. But um, I used to still go knock on doors. Um, part of it was we used to have to sell Passover candy. So I must have gotten over right. my qualms about asking <laughs> for money. I mean, really, it's funny. You know, it's such a New York thing. You go around door to door and knock on people's doors and ask them if they want to buy candy for pass kosher for passover um but then i started going in for for um political candidates and one of the first ones i remember was uh, shirley chisholm's presidential campaign in 1972 um nobody's uh you know a senator but your own a president but your own and and um and there was something about that that coalition um, the community that formed, and I, I was young, I was 12 years old, but still I would go to these m- meetings. Um, yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we were kind of interested in is like, you know, there's all these people in Madison just doing, you know, all this incredible advocacy work. I know you've done a lot of work with G-Safe, which was a gay, straight, straight 
Yeah, now Alliance. Gender Sexual Sexuality Alliance for Safe Schools. Um, right, but, and now you've done yeah. a lot for Voces de la Frontera, which is an immigrant rights group. And so, you know, everyone comes at their activism from a different point. So it's, uh, so it's interesting to hear where your point started. Yeah. Um, so for the listeners, though, um, why don't you tell us about what kind of activism you do around town here? Okay. So in Madison, I mean, uh, Jen mentioned G-SAFE. That's, a, that's been a, a, a passion um, cause of mine because I think um, that the sooner that people are able to fully be themselves, the better off we all are all as right. a society, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and having to hide who you are um, or repress that I think is damaging to that person, um, that person's soul, but everybody around them. Um, so G-SAFE works with, um, well, now elementary through high schoolers um, and, and helping um, them navigate um, coming out. And now coming out means so much more than it did, honestly. Um, uh, for me, it was you know, what, or, so sexual orientation, but now there's the fluidity of gender, gender orientation, gender expression, um, gender identity, sexual orientation and identity. Um, so that's been um, something that I have, you know, I've been on the, the board and committees and I'll fundraise um, for um, Voces de la Frontera and helping um, uh, Shari Shamayam and others in the Madison community uh, to, to fund a, an organizer here in Madison because Voces is based in Milwaukee. Um, that's directly tied to my parents' experience as immigrants um, and you know, coming to another country uh, with no family, um, very, very right, few no pos yeah. possessions, mm -hmm. very little support, um, and you know, and what that experience is like, and um, and I, I am involved in in, in fighting against anti-Semitism. I recognize that you know it's it's part of an entire system, um, and and here in the United States, um, where r racism is really baked into. Every the fabric uh, of the just fabric. Who we are. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> like right. On all our policies. Um, but you know, I I did I grew up in the era of you know um, no blacks or Jews. Um, that was very common to to see on places. Um, we used to spend um, part of the summer um, in a lake. Uh, in uh, Connecticut, um, and there was, you know, was, there was a country club, and then a play, a, a, like a, it was called Canwood Isle, and there was a covenant in there. Um, they would not sell to to Jews. Um, so that experience of what it's like to, you know, most of the time people, particularly refugees, are, are they're not coming here because um, they feel like they have a lot of choice. Um, there weren't really any countries that, very few countries opened their doors to Holocaust survivors. You know, my, most of my entire family was killed, um, and they could go to Israel. They didn't want to do that. My uncle ended up um, in Australia. Um, I had relatives in. France um, and Portugal and England scattered all over the world. Um, and to come here and to start a new life, that's a really difficult thing to do, um, especially after trauma, especially after you've experienced trauma. So that's why VOSIS is something that really matters a lot um, to me. Um, I've been a part of different groups of women that have organized around issues. So 
after the 2016 elections and there was the um, anti-Muslim um, travel ban, um, there was a group of um, Muslim, Latin, and Jewish women uh, that organized um, really just to stand up and say, we will, we will support one another. Um, we will create a, f a fabric, a safety net. Um, it was both social and political and always food. Uh, there's always got to be <laughs> right. food involved, right? right? Right. Um, so those are some of the things I've done, and then political campaigns. Well, you know, as I think we said at the beginning, you're the you're the first the first local activist we've had on. So um, so it's it's just I think I said this earlier, but it's just it's interesting to hear like where it sort of originates from. So thank you for kind of sharing that background and telling us a little bit more about the things you're involved with here in Madison. Well, thank you for thank inviting you. me. Um, yeah, I, I have a question for you. Do you think people have a, a backstory? Do you think there's something that prompts people um, to care more about the world? Well, you just proved that. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some things I think that happen here and there that kind of instill that passion. And like you said, um, that's not fair. And so some of us do something about it and some of us just sit with it. So mm -hmm. I think that's a difference. You know, people who see things are not fair, get up and do something. And there's an activist. I think so. I mean, I, I certainly think, I know for me, I grew up the daughter and granddaughter of a small business owner that was really rooted in a community. And so I grew up seeing like the importance of just rooting yourself somewhere and digging in somewhere. And I think that very much feels how I live my life here in Madison. So I think, I think we all are impacted by where we come from, either positively or, you know, negatively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Good thank question you. too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I didn't really think of it ahead of time, but there's actually kind of a nice parallel between the story of Susanna and Jenny's activist story, which is people having to leave somewhere and come, come to the United States and trying to figure out how to live here. Yeah, that is very good. So you did that on purpose, I'm going to assume. Let's, well, I mean, sure. Let's, okay. <laughs> although I just said I hadn't, but just, yeah, that was completely thought out on my part. So, well, that's great. Um, so we've reached the end of another episode, and uh, I think we should cover some of the nitty-gritty details for this podcast. Awesome. Which is, first of all, um, we would love it if you um, kind of helped us and did some donating to our podcast. Yes, we love money. <laughs> <laughs> well, mainly, you know, um, we, we, re we record in oddly arranged studio and, um, and just trying to cover the cost so we can keep the podcast going. So if you uh, go um, – on Facebook or look in the liner notes of the episode, you could find the uh, PayPal link, and we would love that. Um, also, we're going to start doing more activist origin stories and also kind of interesting Madison history stories. So please email us at insidestoriespodcast.com. No, insidestoriespodcast.gmail.com. Gmail yeah, yes. if you uh, want to let us know about people that we should be t thinking about. As well as any storytelling events here in town, Jen or I don't know about. Um, in addition to any ideas you have, I mean, we're open to trying new things, especially with the small business owners and the activist origin story. So this is your city, too. Just help us tell the stories. Yeah, we're just trying to, you know, explore every facet of Madison. So um, also... If you've never gone to The Moth, I co-produce The Moth, and uh, we, it's the second Monday of every month at the High Noon Saloon, so check that out, too. Yep, 
Um, and thanks for listening. Share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Yep. And uh, let us know. Let us know how you like the podcast. I, I in particular, enjoy yes, getting remember, email. Jen loves I do email, like email. So and uh, email I'm pretty prompt with my replies. So, <laughs> so anyway, so hope to hear from you guys. Yep. And uh, see you next week. Yep. Oh, and also thanks to Richard for the studio space and the editing and all that good stuff. So. Oh, and, and the really kind of snazzy music that we have at the podcast. He arranged it, and he would be happy to arrange music for you, too. Yes, so, he uh, would. feel free to hire him. <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>